fortitude for me is that sort of unbreakable internal core of who you are as a person. It's that steadfast piece that I believe everybody has access to. And once you have access to that piece of yourself, that's when you can flow forward. That's when you can make really easy decisions. You're listening to Disrupting Balance, the podcast, where we are busting myths and breaking balance. Here's stories from women who are pushing boundaries to navigate the decisions and changes that come with work, womanhood, and winning. I'm your host, Hanifa Barnes, speaker, decision strategist, and master imbalancepreneur. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Hope you enjoy. Today we have Audrey Holst. She is a professional coach and consultant who will share real strategies and steps to understanding the practice of mindfulness. She's using tools that help you work through the overwhelm of the impact of COVID-19 and other traumatic events that may happen in your life. Audrey also tells us how she practices her own self-care to be able to support her clientele. And after 13 years of having her own business, She explains why entrepreneurship is not her identity, but merely a vehicle for the work that she does. So hello, Audrey, and welcome to the guest chair. How are you today? I am so good, and I am so excited for this conversation. I'm glad. Me too. Me too. This has been one of the ones I've really been looking forward to. And as you know, in our discussions, disrupting balance is really about our stories. You know, the stories where we're navigating the decisions and changes in work, womanhood and winning. So tell me, what's your story? So my story is has a lot of different twists and turns. And I just want to mention a couple of them that I think might be helpful for your listeners to know about. And one of that is the different types of work that I've done in my life up to this point. And that has covered basically every type of work that you could have. So I've done jobs where I've worked hourly, like I've done, I've been a dog walker, I've been a yoga instructor, I um I had a corporate job for a while which was a whole whole story. Um I managed yoga studios, I co-owned a brick and mortar yoga studio. I have my own um practice now, my own cult- coaching and consulting practice now. And the the consistency that's happened throughout this entire journey is just that um Every single job that I've had, every single experience that I've had within those jobs, I always felt like I was a bit of the, uh, I was, I was a little bit off track from everybody else. Mm -hmm. Basically, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I remember when I had my, my corporate job, I was, I, I had a, a mohawk at one point. Wow. And uh, if you looked around the office, it was sort of like a perfect example of what a, like a magazine out of J. Crew would look like. Yeah. So I was like the sort of strange, <laughs> I was 
always kind of stuck out like a sore thumb in some Uh capacity in some way, shape or form. I've always just been a little bit off center of what the traditional thing (laughs) looks like. Do you feel that you have been off centered at all in that world of entrepreneurship? Yes. And my, my current, um, my current business fortitude and flow is actually a three year that it's a, I've been in this one, this particular brand for three years. So, um, one of the things that's, I feel is really interesting about being an entrepreneur for me is that I don't identify as an entrepreneur. I know there's Mm. a lot of people who, talk about being an entrepreneur as a badge of honor. They talk about it as part of their identity. And for me, it's simply a vehicle for the work that I do. So when I, you know, when I talk about being an entrepreneur or I talk about my business or I talk about these sort of things, I talk about it from a place of the service that I'm, that I'm doing for people, the service that I'm, I'm, providing for people, the results that I'm providing for people. But I personally don't really get any sense of like excitement or mm-hmm. I like I don't really ride that whole entrepreneurial train like a lot of people do, which I think is is unusual. I think a lot of people, it, it's common in the entrepreneurial world for people to really feel strongly identified and really hang on to that definition. And I've almost felt a little bit off center there <laughs> with that particular piece too, when people are banging the drum and getting excited about it. And I feel like, cool, it's a vehicle, but it's not actually part of my identity. So do have you ever thought about that opportunity out there where you would feel completely aligned? Or are you just saying, you know, you just always have a different way of seeing and experiencing things? I feel I feel really aligned with where I am right now. I feel really mm-hmm. aligned with the work I'm doing. I feel really excited by the people I'm working with. I feel really excited about the opportunities that are coming my way. Um so I think it's not it's not necessarily a matter of something different. I think it's just a matter of understanding myself within the within the bigger picture of of the traditional yeah. entrepreneurial entrepreneurial journey, I guess. Yeah. And just knowing that how I feel about things, how I approach things, how I handle things is probably going to look a little bit different than other people simply because how I value the role is different also. Yeah. Well, you said a really key part, which is understanding yourself. And I think once you have that component, you can fit yourself into almost any space and flow with it. Yeah. Um, So on that note, tell me about the understanding of yourself and arriving at the name fortitude and flow. Tell us a little bit what about what it is and your journey to arriving at that name. So fortitude and flow was a, a rebrand of a previous business. My original coaching practice was called Uncommon Zen. Mm-hmm. And I had that practice for probably about two years and it no longer felt aligned with what I wanted to do. And I really felt like using the term Zen was appropriative and it was something that I did not want to want to engage in. So mm-hmm. I decided, okay, I need a fresh start. There's something else that needs to express what it is that I do, the kind of work that I do. So I do a lot of work with people, helping them to um, untangle themselves and heal themselves from burnout, from overwhelm. Um, right now, I'm working with a lot of people who are dealing with with. Pr- productivity related guilt, which is like a whole subject we could cover. And mm-hmm. so I I have a background in movement and yoga and mindfulness. And 
a lot of the coaching and consulting work that I do relates back to that because I see people as holistic human beings. I don't mm-hmm. think that you can really separate your business from your personal. You're you're a whole being mm-hmm. coming into each of these mm-hmm. things with your whole self. Mm-hmm. And so I started to think about, okay, what are the different elements that need to be addressed, acknowledged, understood in order for somebody to really feel like they've got their feet on solid ground. That's sort of the most common thing that people want to feel, that they're going to be okay, that they can ground themselves, that they feel like they are are they have their feet on solid ground, that they're not untethered floating out into the middle of the ocean. That's how mm-hmm. a lot of people feel when they kind of first come to the work with me. But Fortitude for me is that sort of unbreakable internal core of who you are as a person. It's that steadfast, steady, unchangeable piece that I believe everybody has access to. And once you have access to that piece of yourself, that's when you can flow forward. That's when you can make really easy decisions. That's how you can roll with the punches. That's how you can be a little bit more agile. And it's the same thing in the body, right? Your strength and your flexibility work with each other. It's a constant moving target. Your, um, you know, steadiness, your seat, your movement is constantly changing. And I think that's one of the things that I love so much. And I really resonated with this concept of disrupting balance is that Balance is a moving target. Balance is not a static location point in time. It requires constant adjustment and movement, which is not a bad thing. You know, it's just like if you think about walking, you're constantly disrupting your balance through walking. Gravity is constantly working on you through walking, but it's a natural thing once you get used to it. I really want to like focus in on your professional judgment and experience considering where we are now with the global pandemic and what folks are dealing with and hear some more about how you help folks with, you know, dealing with burnout and overwhelm and hear more about mindfulness. So there's a couple of layers that I would mention that I think are helpful for people to understand what I look at when I'm talking to somebody and what I see when I'm considering how we're all responding and reacting in, in our current situation. So mm-hmm. there is the the natural, right? Our our bodies are built for survival. That mm-hmm. is the like very basic of our of our humanity is is that we're our bodies are built to keep us alive. And especially in times of uncertainty, Mm-hmm. Our bodies often revert to this sort of primal, animalistic, how do I stay alive, like fight, flight, freeze states. And that can yeah. that can look a lot of different ways than a lot of different people. Our more um, developed way of dealing with, with stress and survival mechanisms is social. So it's like reaching out to other people and connecting with other people to help us feel safe, which is something that's been kind of taken away in a lot of ways based right. on the social distancing that we've needed to do to help keep people safe. So there's a lot of elements that have sort of messed with our our natural ways of coping and and feeling safe. Unpredictability is really difficult for us. So when things change really fast and we don't really know the information, what how do I do it right? You know, that sort of stuff that can be very upsetting to our internal senses and it, it requires a lot of brain power to try to figure out new solutions and what do I do? And so the level of exhaustion people are experiencing is super, super real. And the other thing that um, 
I think needs to be explicitly named is that we are often relating to the systems outside of us as opposed to the systems within us, especially um, in the context of work, for instance. We derive a lot of our sense of belonging and purpose from the work we do in the world. And if we feel like we're not being productive enough, if we feel like we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, if we feel like we are being lazy, it really messes with our sense of self and our identity. And we and there's a lot of guilt and shame and kind of freak out that happens there. And I've been seeing that a lot. That's been sort of a thematic thing that I've seen people dealing with, clients mm-hmm. on social media, that sort of stuff. Yeah. So in terms of the mindfulness and what I what I sort of encourage people to start doing is to start taking the lens that's been turned outward to be like what is expected. What do I think is expected of me? Because a lot of the times that's not actually real or it's not, it's not, um, our expectations or assumptions are not actually based in reality. It's based on history or what we think might happen. And I ask people to turn some of their attention inward to be like, okay, well, what, what is it that you need? And that's a huge, huge, huge question. I just saying it, I'm like, okay, yeah, if everybody could do that, just figure out what they needed, that would be like, oh, snap our fingers and everything would be (laughs) a completely different Mm -hmm. story. But turning the attention inward, starting to notice that you have this body, starting to manage your energy, starting to pay attention to your breath, starting to pay attention to the thoughts that come up, starting to pay attention to to move through the world in a better way, how, starting to put a little bit more attention towards maybe self-compassion, self-care, self-kindness, these things which we are actually encouraged away from mm-hmm. and pushed more towards you know, being a producer in society. So those are sort of the things in terms of mindfulness that I start getting people in touch with. And when they start getting in touch with that, it gives them a home to come back to, right? It gives them that landing place. It's them, it's themselves, it's their bodies. And when you have that as a landing place, as opposed to trying to find a landing place outside of yourself, it's a game changer. So what is mindfulness? Like for someone who just doesn't have a basic understanding, what is it? So in in the way that I use it, and I actually don't even use the term that much because I think people have twisted in their minds what they think it means. When I say Mm -hmm. mindfulness, what I really mean is paying attention, just being an observer of what's happening right now. So for instance, practicing mindfulness in the space that I'm in right now could be Mm -hmm. me looking around and just noticing my surroundings, which is one way of starting to ground my body because I'm, I'm a visual person, not everybody is, but I'm able to see so I can look around and see my surroundings, be pay attention to them, know that, okay, this is where I am in space. Mm -hmm. I can pay attention to my body weight. I can feel where my body is in space. I can feel where my sits bones are anchored. I can feel my clothing against my skin. Again, this is me paying attention to my reality. I can hmm. pay attention to the sound of my my voice in the mic. I can pay attention to your voice. I can pay attention to smells. So mindfulness to me is more than just what am I thinking, what's in my head, which I think is a lot of what people latch onto when they think of mindfulness. So yeah. uh, for me, it's more of awareness when I think, when I talk about it. How does that relate to meditation? Like, can you draw that distinction? Yeah. So meditation is usually a more, um, 
I would say like controlled context of paying attention. And often meditation, there are so many different ways that you can use meditation or you can talk about meditation. But meditation is often, again, just noticing, paying attention to thoughts. You can pay attention to your breath. Uh-huh. You can pay attention to body sensations, right? Physical sensations you can feel in your body. You can pay attention to a mantra. Sometimes in meditation, people pay attention to a mantra. Uh-huh. And often when we think about meditation, we think about a seated meditation, but I also believe that meditation can be done moving. We can do a moving meditation. For some people, they can't really be present in a seated meditation, especially depending on their history. Some people actually have to move in order to Ooh. access True, that true. sort of um, ability to stay with themselves in a moment. If this is all new to me, what are the first steps in trying to get control of this or better yet, your words, to pay attention and to be more aware, like the basic first step? The basic first step is to just try it a little bit every single mm -hmm. day, paying mm -hmm. attention to like your surroundings, you know, just maybe looking around. I have clients who, when they first start start working with me, they'll set alarms during the day. When their little alarm goes off, they'll take a moment and they'll, okay, I'm going to take a breath. I'm going to look around. Mm -hmm. It's just little baby steps because we are we are conditioned and we are rewarded so much for being thought oriented, for being smart, for thinking, for figuring things out, right? We're very good at figuring things out. We're problem solvers mm -hmm. as, as humans. And so that's often what we do in, in any situation is to try to solve the problem. We go right up into our brains, but often sometimes we're trying to solve a problem. That's not really a problem, <laughs> or we're trying to wrestle with a thought that's not really even needing to be wrestled with. It just actually needs to sort of hang out for a little while and then it's going to go away. So just having people start to notice their surroundings, notice parts of their day that feel like they have more energy, notice parts of their day where they feel a little bit less energy, notice things in their lives that sort of cause them stress. And I actually just encourage people just for a week, just yeah. to kind of pay attention, you know, just like notice things in your environment. It is shocking what you will figure out like what you will notice and all of a sudden have like light bulbs going off when you start paying attention to just little stuff during the day. So what about the impact though of the media and all of these external stimuli that keep coming into the brain, you know, that can almost prevent you from your ability to just pay attention and be aware. How do you do that? Every household is different and experiencing this pandemic differently. Some households don't even have basic things like wireless connectivity, or maybe there's f food insecurity or other issues. Like when you think about those factors, how do you try to make yourself more aware? Because I know it's possible in every situation, but how do you do it in those circumstances? You know, because you're thinking about all these things that are really negatively impacting you emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. This is a huge question. And this is a, it, it is a difficult question to answer because, you know, trauma has a huge effect on us. You know, a lot of yeah. the stuff that, you know, it changes the way we think, it changes the way we, we react to things. And I, so I think the thing to be aware of around these sort of practices is when you are in a state of high stress, 
the problem is with when your body is in that situation, which a lot of people may be experiencing when they are are experiencing some real challenges, right? This is not like a perceived challenge. This is a real challenge. Yeah. It's difficult to see opportunity. Your brain, yes. your thinking yes. brain literally shuts down and you cannot see opportunity. You can't make clear decisions. Wow. So if yeah. you are able to try a practice where you can try to calm yourself down, where you can ground yourself. And for some people, you know, going, depending on what your history is, you know, trying to go too internal can actually be very overwhelming for people, but just being able to ground yourself in your environment in order, like pay attention to things you really enjoy, things that smell good, clothing that Uh, feels uh. good, noticing stuff that, that helps to ground you in not just the trauma and the difficulty in moments, but also the things that are working because there are there will be those things right every sort of place we can find something that helps us to anchor in something some sort of goodness in the moment yeah. but just trying to do the best you can to ground and come back to yourself and evaluate where your energy is going that sort of stuff may give you the opportunity to okay, like what opportunity is here that maybe I haven't thought out about? Yeah. Is there somebody I can reach out to? Is there a resource that I didn't consider? Um, yeah. Because that's the that's the the reality of of these things that happens when we get into super high stress states, it, it changes the way our brain operates. And it really separates us from our ability to find opportunities that may be right in front of our faces. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't want to say it's like easy as one, two, three by any means. But it is something that that could be helpful. I think that's a really good point because you do hear of instances where people are just extremely overwhelmed. And I always wonder, like, how can they be helped in this current state, especially when you can't go see your therapist and you got to get online, but maybe you can't get online. What do you do? So that's that's really, really good. So how does this process look for you? Because you're helping everybody. What's happening with you and how are you dealing with it? So this has been a really interesting time for me. Um, I have been able to. Um, I'm extremely, I'm extremely lucky in that my my business has been virtual from day one. So I already am in the virtual sphere, and yeah. I'm working with my clients remotely, and so that that hasn't really changed things too much. Um, and. I'm sort of working in a field that is that's needed right now. Yeah. So I've I've been trying to put out as much free content as I can. I've been really trying to have conversations with people from different realms. Like I've I've had some some conversations with business coaches and people who have yoga teacher trainings and um just anybody that seems like their their audience could just use a little bit of the information that I that I mm-hmm. happen to know. You know, I have been practicing really taking care of myself and managing my energy more now than ever because I can feel when I go down a rabbit hole, it's much harder now to go down to get out of it than than usual. Yes. You know, like the internet rabbit holes, the social media rabbit holes. I've actually yes. had to really cut down on media consumption because I, like you said, the incoming stresses for me. Yeah. Sometimes I can handle them and I can I can take the information and I can sort of sort through it. At this point in time, the sort of levels and intensity of stuff, I I really have to be careful because I am very sensitive to to this sort of stuff and 
I've had to really cut back on my exposure to stuff. I've had to cut back on on certain people who have sort of been in my space that were not contributing positively to the conversation. I'm not saying, you know, in a bad way, but just I've really had to just be conscious of what I'm letting into my space and what yeah. I am sort of putting out and mm-hmm. and just again, just managing that energy and just sort of figuring out okay, like what Am I, where's my energy getting sucked out? Where am I getting my energy from? And, and being really explicit about that and putting some structure in place in my day, even in the midst of this crisis. Yeah. So what does your routine look like? I know it's day to day is, it could be different. I don't know, but you've been in this space prior to uh, COVID-19. Yeah. So what is your general routine and how much has it shifted? Prior to COVID, I was also teaching yoga classes, which gave me a really uneven schedule throughout the week because sometimes Mm -hmm. I'd be teaching a 6 a.m. class. Sometimes I'd be teaching a 7 p.m. class. Sometimes I'd be teaching a 9.30 a.m. class. And since COVID, I actually haven't been doing any teaching, which has honestly freed up my ability to create more predictability around my schedule. And it's been extremely good for me. It's been very good for me because I can start my day at the same time every single day. So I mm-hmm. I get up and I give myself at least an hour and a half before work. I start work around nine o'clock, but I give myself about an hour and a half to sometimes I work out in the morning. Sometimes I just sort of sit around and sit my coffee really slowly or I'll listen to a podcast or Mm -hmm. I'll just read a little bit. Like I'll just kind of start my day off slow and then I boom, as soon as the 9 a.m. hits, I get to work. Um, I try to go for a walk during the day, like especially if it's a nice day like it was today, I'll go for a walk. Um, I have friends that I have on text threads that we will coordinate workouts to be like, Mm -hmm. okay, hey, I'm going to take a 5 p.m. class today. You want to join me? Yes, great. So Mm -hmm. that's been encouraging my movement. Mm -hmm. Um, And then before I go to bed, I do like a, a meditation movement. I do a practice called TRE, mm-hmm. which stands for trauma release exercises, which is essentially mm. you sort of tire out some of the bigger muscles in your legs. And um, it works on the premise that when you go through stressful or traumatic things, that there's this this sort of tremor that happens that naturally happens in our bodies, this, this shaking that happens. And yeah. I just let my body do that. I'll lie on the floor and I'll let my body go through this tremoring process. And some days my body doesn't move much and other day other days it feels like I'm like running in place, you know. Yeah. So I do that to sort of whew, offload some of the stress from the day and sort of calm myself, quiet myself down as much as possible, do some praying and then off to bed. Yeah. So that's my <laughs> the ideal <laughs> the ideal yeah. situation doesn't oh, always yeah. go like that but that's you know the overview i guess it's never exactly perfect but at least you have it in your head and you know what you envision i think that's the first step you know yeah and i think that's something too just for people who are listening to take note of when things are unpredictable any sort of structure, any sort of predictability that you can build into your day is going to make you feel so much better. So even if you know, you know that you're going to wake up at the same time or like any sort of predictability where you can and anytime you can create a, a moment or a way for your body to just relax and feel safe yeah. about a thing is yeah. key. What is your favorite self-care practice? I I heard the part about you mentioning the TRE which I'm definitely going to look up for myself. But outside of that, what is uh, your favorite self-care practice? I'd say movement. And that's a general 
term because for me, what movement needs to be on any given day is going to change. So sometimes for me, movement is going out into the garden and like digging up like this last weekend, we had all these ornamental grasses that were just taking over. And I just went at those things with a shovel for like three hours and I finally dug them up and I was full body sore the next day. I mean, so for me, movement that day was just digging in the dirt. Yeah. Other days it's a, you know, a yoga practice. Some days it's dancing. I have to create energy sometimes, which often looks like, okay, put some good music on and dance, get moving, get your body moving, get your heart rate up. Because once I get the physical movement going, the uh-huh. mental and emotional movement usually comes right along with it. And I tend to be a high energy person in general. So if I can burn my energy, if I can use my energy in productive ways, then yeah. I don't use it in destructive ways, which for me, if I'm not using my energy well, it's overthinking, it's getting stuck in my head, it's um, you know, huh. even like negative self-talk or creating drama for myself that doesn't need to be there. I think that could be a good like general note because I get in my head often (laughs) and I realize on the days where I either do my early AM workout or midday workout, I'm usually pretty good and have a positive vibe, right? Sounds like it's also about just movement in general. So it doesn't have to be an intense workout. It can be just some type of movement. Yes. And I really want to like put a big circle, check mark, star circle around this because we get a little bit stuck in our heads about what it has to look like or what it needs to look like. And, you know, on days when I'm not, I don't have the energy, I will move slowly. Sometimes I'm just gently stretching on the ground, you know, like sometimes it's something very, very small. But, you know, going for a walk is super powerful. Like that's something our bodies really respond well to. Like I would recommend this is sort of a pro tip. If you're ever stuck on a problem or even having a conflict with somebody or you're you're like just not really able to work something out, going for a walk and moving your body will get that thing moving. That's one of those things that, that just it really helps. You know, just yeah. noticing that sort of stuff is yeah. is powerful and it doesn't have to look like anything. It can be what works and that's what is important. It has to work. If it doesn't work, then find something else. Exactly. So let's then talk about the book because I'm sure in writing a book, you've got to get up, stop, get up and go do something to come back to it. Mm. So let's talk about your book and your process and tell us more about it and what it it's about. So the book is, is yet to be titled. It's still, it's still searching for its title, but mm-hmm. essentially the book is about understanding how there is when you look at yourself within the context of your life, when you look at yourself within the context of the society you live in, the family you grew up in, even your family's history, the experiences you've had, you make complete sense. Complete mm-hmm. sense. And, you know, it's it's such a uh, common narrative that I've found in the work that I've done that people are are constantly trying to like fix themselves or they think there's something wrong with them or they've really tried to fix their mindset in a certain way and it hasn't been successful because mm-hmm. they're sort of working with this underlying assumption that there's something wrong with them. And yes. it's simply not true. So the book really talks about uh, you know, gives us the background and understanding our context and the society that a lot of us were talking about American society 
in particular, the the sort of society that we're we're raised in, and the, and the implicit and explicit messages we're fed, and the experiences we've gone through, and sort of why that's brought us to the place that we are. Then through these experiences and through these practices, some of which I've talked about today, starting to plug into yourself, plug into your own system, plug into your own fortitude, and sort of unvelcro yourself from the expectations of what you think you need to be doing to be feeling better or whatever the you know the end goal is yeah that's sort of the so that's the book itself and in terms of the process so this is a book that I've been internally writing you know in my own mind's eye for like the last 9 years <laughs> so <laughs> when it was time for this thing to come out I hired a I hired hired somebody to help me write my book I knew that as soon as I hired somebody and somebody that had a process for me to follow mm-hmm. I was going to write that book and I had her email me every single day with the points that I needed to hit. And Hmm. I wrote about 40,000 words in under three weeks because I was just ready and I had the support. And I found that to be true of anything. Like when you are ready and you've got the right container and you've got the right support, it is unbelievable what people are capable of. Let's talk about something a little exciting and fun about you. So let's talk about your tattoos. Yeah, I I love tattoos also. And for I'll give you a sort of a visual tour via via sound. I have three fairly large tattoos. So my one one of my tattoos is I have a a tea set on my left arm. I have a mm-hmm. teapot on my left bicep, and then I've got four teacups sort of cascading down my left arm. They are basically in the style of like a sort of traditional white porcelain and they have blue peonies drawn on them. Mm-hmm. And then on my calves, on my left calf, I have the botanical drawing of a cacao plant. And on my right calf, I have the botanical drawing of a peanut plant. So, um, and they're, they're big. <laughs> they're, they take up my, <laughs> my entire calf. And they've all been done by the same woman. Her name is Caitlin Abdo. She lives in Portland, Oregon, and she is an incredible artist. I basically came came to her with my concepts, and she just made them come to life in the most beautiful way. The teacup tattoo was the first one I got, and that was inspired by my lifelong love of tea, the process of tea, the drinking, the steeping. The whole thing to me is very meditative and relaxing. And it's just like my happy place. So that's where the tea came from. And then the botanical drawings on my calves were a dedication to my mother who passed away. um, Mm -hmm. I think it's about 15 years now ago. And she loved, whenever I think about her, she, she was a gardener. She loved her flowers, loved her garden. I actually have a painting in my house that my father did of her in the garden. So I get to look Mm -hmm. at that every single day. And she loved chocolate and peanut butter. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, you know, when I think about her and, and it's something that I also share with her, uh, I love chocolate and peanut butter. So I got the botanical drawings and the peanut plant, the cacao plant in her memory. And, um, she was not a fan of tattoos. She did not see any of my tattoos in her (laughs) lifetime, but I think that, uh, I, I imagine that I've been forgiven at this point. <laughs> yes, yes. And how long on average did each tattoo take? So the one on my arm, I want to say three hour tattoo, but maybe it was less than that. 
But the okay. one of my cat and so because my friend lives out in Portland, I've had to do all of these in one sitting. So like the one of my, you know, my arm was one sitting and uh-huh. each of my calves was also one sitting, which was quite painful and not yeah. enjoyable. And it's not something yeah. that I like to do for long periods of time. So like my body was completely done after my first calf, but we had the second one to go. So I just sort of muscled through, but man, that was not pleasant. I don't recommend it, but that was, I think probably th- we had three hours to work to get both of those done. What is your favorite color and why? Purple. And it's funny, I'm staring I'm staring at a wall right now that's this beautiful teal color. And I really want to say teal, but my, my heart yeah. wants to say purple. So I'm going to go with purple. <laughs> um, but different colors of purple, deep purple, light purple. There's just something about that color that is so, it's sort of comforting. It's sort of rich. It just feels comforting to me for whatever reason. The color purple just really... Um, if there's like a lineup of things, I'm usually going to pick the purple. So I'm I'm going to go with purple on that one. I am Audrey Holst, and I am disrupting balance by honoring people's real needs over the status quo. Thank you for listening to Disrupting Balance. To learn more about how I'm disrupting balance. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Disrupting Balance. You can also check out my website at www.disruptingbalance.com to get podcast updates and news from the Balance Disruptor community about how you can become your very own master in balancepreneur. Talk soon.